Yeah, so I, I think one of the things that that really does come to mind is what we were just talking about in terms of like just kind of establishing the the relationships to really move forward with with some of the the corporate engagement. Um, you know, I think one of the <clears throat> facets of being in a, a small community is it can either be really easy if you know the right person or really difficult if you don't um, just to, to build that relationship. So, you know, we've, we've made, like I said, some, some progress in, in various ways, but I think they're kind of like some big fish in the community, so to speak, that <laughs> it'd be great if we could just figure out what that access point would be whether it's a particular type of project or just a particular person that, that holds the keys to that gateway. You're listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swineford. Hey, Relish This podcast listeners, welcome back. Stu here. Today's episode features two really great people from San Juan Mountains Association. They are doing some great work, uh, actually touching over half of Colorado's wilderness uh, forest areas with their influence and, and benefit. They have this really great organization down in the Durango area that started as a focus on the San Juan Mountains and the and the forests down there to help preserve and protect a lot of that area from use. They have a really cool educational program. They have an ambassador program, volunteers, donors. They're doing some really, really fantastic stuff. And today we talked a lot about ways that they can help um, hone that message uh, show up more effectively to people who know them and expand their reach um, through social media, through email. There's some really good gold nuggets of information that we were able to unearth. And I think this is a fantastic episode. I'm excited to share it with you and I hope you have a great time listening to it. Have a good one. Stephanie and David, how are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Fantastic. Well, thank you both so much for joining me on the show today. I'm really excited to learn a lot more about your organization and what you guys are doing there at San Juan Mountain um, Association. Um, so I know you are both down in the, you're both in the Durango area. Is that correct? We are. Yes. It is, yeah. Nice. And is that where San Juan Mountain Association is headquartered is in Durango? Yes, our offices are based out of um, the Public Land Center, uh, which is kind of the home base for the San Juan National Forest. Um, but we have staff spread out. Um, at this point, we have staff spread from Monta Vista um, over to, uh, I guess, Mancus is the furthest west and up to Montrose. And we're currently looking for a new staff person in the um town of Norwood as part mm -hmm. of the Norwood district for the Grand Mesa Uncompagre and Gunnison National Forest. Oh, nice. So you're just expanding. That's fantastic. I I was fortunate enough to do some work on grizzly 
Grizzly Peak Trailhead, I think, a few years ago with the Volunteers for Outdoor Colorado, which is um, over in your zone, kind of by Lake City. Um, And it's just gorgeous part of the state. It's one of my favorite places to be. I grew up in Gunnison and um, and so have been fortunate to spend a little bit of time in the San Juans down there. And um, and it's just it's just amazing, amazing country. And I commend you for all the work that you're doing to help preserve things. So tell tell us all a little bit more about what you do there at uh, at your organization and and how you're helping to protect those forest lands and and public spaces. All right, and um, just so we can coordinate a little bit, um, I'll I'll talk about two of the prongs, and then David, I will turn to you to talk about the stewardship prong. How does that sound? Sounds great. Works for me. (laughs) <laughs> just to coord- coordinate a little bit because I think we're both looking for visual clues. Um, so San Juan Mountains Association really was born out of a um, community effort to be more involved in caring for public lands. And so a lot of that started out with the idea of conservation education and providing visitor information. So a lot of the folks who are on SJMA's staff are actually front desk folks in um, public land offices. Uh, We started with San Juan National Forest um, here in Durango, uh, and we also have folks in Dolores and Pagosa Springs, and then we've kind of been been expanding our partnerships with other forests and with the BLM as well. Another component of that is with our conservation education, and SJMA actually merged with Durango Nature Studies right before um, everything shut down due to COVID-19 in 2020, and that really strengthened um, both organizations' uh, educa- environmental education efforts. And so we we start young. Um, we start with preschoolers and kindergartners, um, you know, through elementary, middle school, high school, believing that when we are exposed to the natural world, we learn to understand it. And from that understanding comes appreciation. And from that appreciation comes the desire to protect it. And that really kind of sums up a philosophy that that carries through everything that we're doing with San Juan Mountains Association. But the area where we've really grown um, is in some of the stewardship efforts. And and Dave, being the conservation director, can speak to that in, in much more detail. Thanks, Stephanie. So uh, SJMA started their, their stewardship and field conservation programs through the volunteer program, uh, primarily through the San Juan National Forest, but also working um, with the BLM in the Canyon of the Ancients National Monument. And mm-hmm. that also expanded beyond just San Juan to the Rio Grande over time. Um, so the, the initial program and kind of our flag, flagship volunteer program is our, uh, our volunteer ranger program, which started as our wilderness information specialist in which Volunteers would suit up in a, in a Forest Service uniform, and they'd go through extensive training, uh, just learning about um, not only Forest Service policies, regulations, 
but also uh, getting schooled in the, the leave no trace uh, principles. And mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of the main thrust of the program is that we're, we're sharing and spreading, um, you know, a, a way of doing things on our public land that protects values and ensures that they're available for future generations. Uh, beyond that, um, we do a handful of, uh, you know, sort of group stewardship projects every year. So your National Public Land Day type project will do trail work or um, campsite cleanup, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, sort of going from there, we move beyond the, the volunteer strictly programs to uh, manage several crews. So several years back, we took on the wilderness monitoring program for the San Juan National Forest for the, the Weminuch and South San Juan wildernesses. Okay. And uh, we started, we had a crew of four for a lot of years. We recently bumped it up to six, but that crew, uh, they do, you know, not only the wilderness monitoring, which is kind of setting the baseline for the, the wildernesses, but also doing trail work and public contact and all that important sort of boots on the ground work that, that really needs to happen if we're going to effectively monitor these spaces. Right. And then uh, just quite recently, so this year was our first year with our fourth ambassador program. And that's more aimed at your front country visitors. And it's, it's very heavily focused on information, education, and establishing that land management presence um, at some of the busiest trails on the San Juan. So we've had... Um, uh, about 10 ambassadors working over the course of the season, just doing that, you know, day-to-day -day public outreach, educating the public and ensuring that people that visit the forest are doing a good job of um, visiting respectfully, having mm -hmm. a great time and, you know, leaving, knowing how they can enjoy these spaces in a sustainable way. Yeah, you guys have a lot on your plate. It's a whole bunch of different um, areas of focus there in terms of of outreach and and you know hands and or tools and hands and etc. Um, it must be very daunting, um, you know, seeing how many more people are visiting our our forests. Um, you know, there's just a, an increase in in the overall impact. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you you've been facing over the past several years um in terms of of uh being able to expand your mission or at least keep up with with the additional um you know visitors um so i can jump in here since i've got a, a few years with the organization under my belt um so i think you know in terms of just rising to the challenge of helping manage the the additional visitation uh you know we've We've really done a lot of work just um, establishing new partnerships and establishing new roles within the land management agencies that we work with. And that's led to some really productive outcomes as far as, you know, raising, raising funds and um, adding additional programs that are supported by whether it's the agencies or, you know, private interests or foundations. Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely been a challenge. Just keeping up with, um, you know, the staffing and ensuring that we're, we're keeping our, um, sort of administrative fortitude on par with those additional staff and additional programs. And I think that's been something that, 
you know, we've been working hard just to make sure that, that all the nuts and bolts are, are in place and uh, just keeping the, the wheels on. Nice. Is that a, uh, mostly a, a revenue challenge or are you guys seeing both, uh, you know, well, I guess it all kind of comes down to that, but, um, you know, being able to get that message out there, is that, has that been part of that hurdle? It, it definitely is both, right? I mean, I came in as executive director um, May 1st, and the organization has grown so considerably. Like when I came on May 1st, we had 15 folks on payroll. By the end of May, we were approaching 40, and we peaked um, for the summer at 45. Now, most of those um, by design are seasonal employees, mm-hmm. and and so we we will be contracting, and we are contracting now. But the idea and our our efforts um, are to uh, we recognize that the demand for uh, public lands and recreation on public lands isn't expected to drop anytime soon. So how how do we sustain the you know staffing that we've had this year and be good partners with our public land agencies and so sustained funding is very much part of that equation and then also the ability to clearly message what our successes have been and how big our role is currently um, is really a tough one to get across effectively. Um, mm-hmm. We all we all know that we all have very short attention spans these days, um, and so so it to really share with people the magnitude of impact that we've had is tough unless you really start you know dialing in visuals and infographics and and sound bites to the point where people can really absorb the information um right you know, for us to say we have 45 staff is pretty meaningless for us to say we're currently um have we currently have partnership agreements with national forest that per, you know covers half of the state's national forest acreage that's a pretty impressive number, right? Yeah. There are 11.4 million acres of national forest in Colorado, and SJMA currently has agreements with agencies covering 5.7 of those. Wow. Acres. So, um, you know, how do we, you know, so yeah, learning how to really frame information in a way that can make people go, wow, um, has been something we're, we're working hard to do. Well, that's certainly a challenge. I think that uh, you know nonprofits and for-profit organizations alike are are constantly trying to figure out how to how to reframe that different differentiation, how to um, you know create a value proposition that resonates. And so, you're certainly not alone in uh, in exploring ways to to retool. Um, or expand the ways that that your messaging can uh, you know, positively impact um, your ability to to connect with people. Um, a lot of the time, we look at your your differentiation as really a challenge of of trying to get people to understand 
you know, why you do what you do matters. And so from a nonprofit perspective, that can be a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a head scratcher, um, as you attempt to position yourselves in the position where the donors or the, um, constituents become the heroes of the story. Um, and you simply kind of take a backseat to that and help guide them to, to being able to, to see themselves in that light and, and position themselves as, as that kind of, you know, key, um, you know, hero in what's going on is, is a real challenge. And a lot of times we try to think of it in terms of, of kind of a seven second, uh, hook that really gets to the answers to three questions. You know, who is this for? How does it make their life better? And how do they get it now in the nonprofit space? Like I said, that becomes a little bit of a challenge because, you know, the, the beneficiary isn't necessarily the, the donor, um, at the end of the day, but, figuring out how to frame that in, in the, in a way that makes the, the donor or the volunteer understand where they, where they reside in this story that you're trying to tell is, uh, you know, that can be super effective in how you start to craft those stories on pretty much every page of, of your site and, and everything that goes out. Yeah. I love that. I love the phrase, you know, how, how do our, you know, how do our donors and volunteers become heroes of our story? You know, yeah. that's, that's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it can be a challenge, but it can also be kind of a fun challenge in that it's, it's really just telling that same story just from a slightly shifted perspective. And so, um, you know, coming at things from that way where, you know, even if you're highlighting highlighting volunteers, creating opportunities for case studies that, that reframe that narrative is, is pretty important. One of the things we see with nonprofit organizations is there's a, there's always friction in terms of, of people's desire to, you know, take some sort of an action. And in the for-profit space, that's usually, you know, buying something or, um, or signing on for a service or something like that. And in the nonprofit space, there's actually a, an amplification of that, um, that friction. There's, there are multiple frictions that people, um, bump up against as they're going through that journey. And, you know, most of us don't wake up in the mornings thinking, well, how can I give away some of my money or some of my time today? Um, you know, we're much more strongly motivated by things that we get as opposed to things that we give. Um, so really, if, if you can fine tune and, and just get that story dialed in, um, where, where it, it just eases that friction is, you know, people are kind of taking this uphill journey in terms of, of, uh, wanting to participate or give away some of their hard earned time and money. Um, but, you know, just creating opportunities to reduce that friction all, all along that process is, uh, is key. Yeah. It's, I'd love your thoughts, Stu, on yeah, kind of how we navigate message with a lot of folks who are moving here, um, from out of state, right? Mm -hmm. This is for many, this is a silver lining to COVID. Right, the ability to uh, live where you want to live because for many you can work remotely, and so in an area like ours, we have seen tremendous growth 
Um, lots of folks from out of state or other parts of the state coming here um, simply because, as you stated, the San Juans are gorgeous. And why not live where they can easily go play? And so, you know, messaging to some of those folks coming in to say, hey, um, you're moving here to, to take advantage of the things we're trying to protect. Um be a, be a partner. Um, would, would love your thoughts on that. I think it's kind of a very clear value proposition. You know, what most of the people that are moving here recognize that that is the key motivator. So just, you know, ensuring that there's an effective communication um, to clearly uh, iterate that is, you know, an effective and potentially very important facet of, of our communications. Yeah, there's that educational component that comes into play where, you know, people may have done things a bit differently where they where they came from, or um, they just may not understand the you know, the effects. So I'm thinking about, you know, just off trail travel above treeline, um, which is a little bit of a tongue twister there. Um, you know, people don't understand all of those impacts when you have such a short growing season um, and how just simply walking off the trail can, can really create a negative impact on the, on the vegetation in those areas. Um, and so it, you know, it comes down to education, which comes down to, um, you know, it, awareness that, that there's a problem. And so, um, you know, that can be the first step. How are you guys doing that now? Are you, you know, all, obviously all of these programs are, are, you know, designed to do that. But when you have, I mean, when you're covering 5 million acres of, of forest <laughs> with, with, you know, several thousand trailheads probably, right. How, what are some of the techniques that you've been using to, to get that message out there? I'd love to say we have some really, really, really effective forest ambassadors, and they are, um, but they are limited to the San Juan National Forest, not not GMUG or the Rio Grande. Um, yeah, it's it's a challenge to be sure. Um, Leave No Trace is pretty much part of everything we do mm-hmm. with visitor information. So we mentioned the the folks at front desks of public land agencies. Um, are very well versed in leave no trace principles, recreating responsibly. And then obviously the the forest ambassadors and our wilderness crews are instrumental in that. And um, it just, it, you know, that is a small part of what is needed, but the part that we are playing, you know, in partnership with our federal land managers. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's a big, it's a big challenge to get to get in front of so many people that are so dispersed. I think. So, Would David, you can you? That, David, sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask David. Can you speak more to some of the educational programs that you have put in place? Yeah, for sure. So the, I mean, as mentioned, the the main thrust um, is is kind of the the outreach by by our staff, our ambassadors, <clears throat> our wilderness crew, and then our, our volunteers. Um, and we, we try to make sure that each of those receives, you know, pretty regular um, training and updates as far as messaging. And, you know, the, the main gist of it is really like just to 
get our staff and volunteers in a room so that we can just practice and become more and more familiar with the messaging that we're trying to convey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we do focus those efforts pretty heavily on, you know, the, the best bang for your buck areas. So, you know, I think everybody who's ever been to the San Juans is aware of Ice Lake and the Chicago Basin and the 14ers down there. So we, we put a, a lot of emphasis on those couple zones. And uh, while COVID has kind of put a, a brief damper on it, um, what we really like doing is setting up a little base camp where we can base both our staff and volunteers uh, kind of right in the meat of it. So right in Chicago Basin at the base of the, the 314ers and then right at the base of the Ice Lakes Trailhead is kind of our, right. our two primary spots that we like to um, put the heaviest emphasis on our outreach and education. And what we like to do is, you know, a, a big part of it is always getting our volunteers and staff comfortable enough with the messaging that, you know, regardless of who comes at them, they're going to be comfortable uh, engaging in that conversation. And uh, to do that, we try to make sure they get plenty of face time with agency partners who, you know, we think they're definitely the the best source in a lot of ways for for getting our our educational messaging nice and tight um but also you know just empowering them with things like we teach them all how to do trail work so that they can grab a tool and head out and uh you know in the uniforms and that gets people chatting with them like really easily everybody wants to talk to the person that's out you know clearing a drain or building a little, <laughs> yep. little rock stair because those are the people that like, it's just so easy to open up with. Um, So that's always kind of been my first choice when it comes to how are we going to create an easy setting for which people to engage with their staff and get that educational message out. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one of the things I love about your site is that it does have just information about some of these, some of these places. So, you know, for example, if somebody's looking to do, um, you know, some like they, maybe they want to go on the Alpine loop or something. There's information there about that adventure. And so there's a good opportunity for your site to show up in terms of, of being available as a resource for people to um, just get, you know, trip planning information. Um, and then on top of that, there's obviously the, uh, the, you know, the impact and, um, and stewardship component. I'm wondering if there might be ways to, one of the things that a lot of nonprofits kind of have a little bit of a challenge with is just asking for, for people to help out with, with some things that are a little less, um, traditional. Um, so, you know, volunteering or donating, those tend to be things that, that, um, nonprofits, uh, and their teams get pretty familiar with with being able to ask, but even just sharing a tip or a message or a um, you know a, a a piece of information that would help um, get to a different audience. One of the things that social media has done is it allows us to be um, pretty well connected, but it has created a situation where we're actually starting to get more boxed into our own little groups. Um, the, you know, the, the social media channels tend to show you information that 
is aligned with other information that you've liked or shared or, or have even read. And, um, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about out of state people, you know, they may just never even get this kind of information put in front of them. And, and there might be an opportunity to create an ask, like, you know, create business, little business cards or little, little tips that people could share on their own social media accounts to kind of get that stewardship stuff out into a, a different audience than it might normally be be shared with um, that that might be a, an, an additional ask that you that you make of your volunteers and and ambassadors and everybody else that's a great idea yeah definitely so yeah and actually that uh, it's kind of a familiar concept I know when uh, I worked at volunteers for outdoor Colorado as you mentioned earlier back in 2015. Mm-hmm. And that year they kicked off a, an app. Um, I think it was stepping up stewardship app or something along those lines. But, um, part of it was, was sharing. So that's definitely a good way just to amplify the message and, uh, potentially hit some, some audience that, that we wouldn't otherwise get in front of. Yeah. My, um, my business actually built that site, the stepping up stewardship site for, for VOC, um, back in the day. Yeah. Um, and it is more tooled toward, um, it is more tooled toward other trail building organizations. So they're trying to share their volunteer coordination and, um, trail building intellectual protocol with, uh, with other trail building organizations. I think there was also kind of a, a, a phone app that the VOC had that mm-hmm. was more, more tips and, and things like that. I know leave no trace does a pretty good job of this with some of the, you know, some of the cards that they hand out, um, that you can, you know, carry with you or, or, or put on your backpack with a little carabiner or something like that, that just give out those tips, um, you know, any of those things that people can feel like it would be interesting or, or cool to share that they could get along the way. Um, you know, like having your, having your ambassadors offer to take pictures with people, um, you know, if they, if they'll share it on social media or something like that, you know, just little things like that, that get that message out there particularly to a more diverse group um, would be the, some of the things that I, I think would be really beneficial. Mm. Yeah, those are great tips. So we, um, in addition to popular hiking trails, we've had a couple of ambassadors stationed along the Alpine loop, mm-hmm. um, which if, if you're familiar um, is a popular OHV system that goes from Silverton or just north of Silverton, um, Animus Forks over to Lake City and back around and is very, very popular, has become um, incredibly busy uh, with yeah. VHVers. And in fact, um, people using Waze or, or, you know, Google routing or something, we'll often see backups um, not not anywhere else on our highways, just on that on that Alpine <laughs> Loop, um, which mm, makes me wonder how fun that can be sitting in traffic. But that's okay; it's sure. so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but our Alpine Loop ambassadors have just done a phenomenal job um, 
interacting with and and reaching out and connecting with a lot of these OHVers, which are frequently um, from other states and mm-hmm. due to um, backcountry use, basically, and, and it's been phenomenally successful, and we're really proud of them. Yeah, it's um, it's great to see some signage. I I come over Cottonwood Pass on occasion when I when I go over to Gunnison, and and there's some good signage there, just about staying on the trail, and and they've done a good job of of creating, um, you know, OHV by, byways. And I know I know that's a big, um, in Silverton for sure, um, and and so yeah, just figuring out ways to not only get people, those people more educated about the impacts and how to, you know, how to keep these areas pristine and, and still, still enjoy them. Um, but also get them to share that information. That's, that's the piece that I think would be really interesting. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just a matter of figuring out what some of those kind of shareable tidbits would be and, and, um, and then just ask, um, see if people will, will kind of help spread that message out to their, uh, you know, to their networks when they, you know, when maybe they go back to, to Texas or wherever they may, may have come up from. Yeah, definitely. And for the most part, I do, you know, I think they've been receptive to that. Um, you're, you're going to find exceptions to every rule. Mm -hmm. Um, but for the most part, I think, uh, they have done a really good job of absorbing the stay the trail message, the leave no trace message, sharing that with peers. But yeah, there's definitely room for improvement because, um, you know, we, we need to protect these places for generations to come. Absolutely. Where does most of your revenue come from? Is it, I know that you've, you've also done a really good job of diversifying that in, in terms of being able to purchase maps and things like that through, uh, through your, your site. Um, but is it mostly grants? Is it, is it still donations? Where, where's the bulk of your revenue come from? Um, the bulk of it is from the agreements we have with our federal partners. Um, okay. So just for complete transparency. And then, um, then the next section, you know, next largest piece of the pie would be from grants and our retail outlets. Um, so in addition to providing visitor information, we're also able, as you alluded to, to sell maps and guidebooks at um each of the public land outlets where we operate. So there are 14 of those um, okay. throughout the Rio Grande, GMUG, and San Juan National Forests. So that, that helps. Um, and then donations, donations and memberships um, still comprise the smallest piece of our pie, but we're, we're working hard to expand that piece. So, Gotcha. That, um, I mean, like I said, the, the diversification pieces, um, is something that we see a lot of organizations, um, either be nervous about adding or, um, or just be, um, anxious about, uh, about how to even do that. So it's really great to see that you've, that you've expanded a retail component and that, that that's kind of blown out, not just from the website, but you, you do have opportunities for kind of you know, brick and mortar sales as well. Um, in terms of the federal 
component, which you said is probably one of the the bigger um, revenue drivers for you, are those kind of guaranteed funds? Do you have to fight for them every year? How do, how are those structured? A um, little bit of both. Um, we, you know, the nice thing is we enter into five year agreements. Okay. Um, so so that's nice to know. Hey, we're we're with each other for at least five years. Mm-hmm. Um, the the second part of that is yes um with anybody dealing with any government budget um nothing is guaranteed right so right. uh we are constantly um seeing what they have to allocate in our direction so there's there's tremendous variability um in what we actually receive from those agreements and you know fortunately They've been strong supporters, um, and we've we've done fine. Um, we would love to have a foundation um, through, you know, let's just toss out the e word through an endowment mm-hmm. um, that helps stabilize those fluctuations, so we can plan from year to year. I mean, we we're finishing up. 2021, um, we've had, Dave, feel free to correct me, but somewhere between 20 and 25, depending on who's working part-time and who, you know, stepped away from for a while, um, forest ambassadors and wilderness crew um, out mm-hmm. in the field at any given time. Um, we're not sure we can have that number next year. Um, and it would be nice to have uh, some certainty from year to year as to how many folks we know we can have as as land stewards um, out on the forest. Right. Right. What are you doing to so so that's basically just due to the fluctuation in in federal money, grant money, yeah, donations coming in, et cetera. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, I know that there are, you know, some fairly large landowners down in, in your neck of the woods. Um, Do you have a program in place to try to engage with or or get in touch with, with those people thinking, isn't it Ralph Lauren or somebody has a big chunk of land in between like Ridgeway and, oh, not really Telluride, but (laughs) the road that goes over to Telluride. Yeah, quite the spread over there. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely there are definitely people who have some some resources um that we would love to tap into and and uh let's just say we are working on a plan. Um, <laughs> isn't isn't that the the eternal nonprofit management uh message, right? Yeah. But, but yeah, we I mean the growth that we have experienced um, over the past two years, really, puts us in a position where a lot of this is um, even conceivable. Um, mm-hmm. And so much has changed over the past two years, right? So mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to message, and you've put forth a number of great ideas and suggestions, how to message and, and just broaden the support for what we're trying to do is very much a part of our, our work right now. Yeah. As, as everybody is, is trying to, trying to crack that nut, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it feels like, you know, from what I'm seeing, um, you're, you know, you're laying some pretty good groundwork here online. Um, 
you know, it looks like you're active on Facebook and Instagram as well. So that's, you know, those are our two social channels that tend to, to get quite a bit of, of traction. Um, I'm not sure where else, unless you want to start playing in trying to, trying to capture, you know, youth, um, opportunities, at which point you might want to look into some of the more up and coming social media platforms like TikTok or, or something like that. Um, however, that is mostly going to be, you know, one of those where they're going to recommend up, um, in terms of, of, you know, does either desiring to go to, um, these types of places and then asking their parents to, to take them there or, um, or something of that nature. So, you know, it feels like you're, you're probably playing in, in two of the, two of the right, uh, you know, ponds for lack of a better word, um, in terms of, of social, what, what are you doing with your email campaigns or your email programs? Do you have a pretty robust, um, email list at this point of past donors, volunteers, interested people? We do. Um, you know, right now our electronic news has mm, just, well, honestly, now that I, now that I think about the numbers and then the number of people living in this area, um, Mm -hmm. I think there's plenty of room for growth. Our email subscription list is about, 3,600 folks at this point. Um, The struggle I have, and I'd love your thoughts on this too, Stu, is we're all bombarded with so many electronic newsletters, right? And so especially we got to a point at one point this summer where our e-news was 14 pages long and it was oh, just wow. like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, I mean, yes, we're doing a lot, but we have to have to have it more concise. And this is where I think my biggest struggle is. I think Facebook and Instagram, we're doing a, a pretty good job of messaging, but the e-news so that it, it comes to everybody's inbox they want to see it. They want to scan it. They, mm-hmm. you know, how we get them to absorb it, I think is is a struggle I I wrestle with constantly. Well, there's certainly a few things that I that that we've seen work uh, relatively well with email, and I think having a well, I don't know exactly how engaged those 3,600 people are, but that's a that's a, a you know certainly a big enough. Um, list to really make some things happen. So a few things about email. The first thing is one of the reasons we, we are still really excited about email is that boomers tend to use email quite a bit and boomers continue to be kind of the largest donor base that's out there. Um, you know, that, that generation is there, um, you know, starting to get older, they want to, you know, create opportunities to do some good with, with some of the money that they may have available. Um, so they tend to be a a pretty good donor resource, um, which is why email is still a very viable, uh, engagement tool. Now, a 14 page newsletter you've identified is, is not probably ideal. Um, you know, I think sending out something giant and robust like that every once in a while, isn't, 
isn't a bad plan. I would, I would certainly test it if you have that much material. Um, you know, I'd put it out there and see what happens. Uh, just look at your click rates, look at your open rates, et cetera. Um, but one of the things that we've been, you know, both doing internally and, and recommending for our, uh, for our nonprofit partners is to really consider all of your interaction as very value-based and attempting to provide information that's not just solicitive, if that's a word, solicit, yeah, not just asking for things all the time, um, but is providing real, real tangible value. So these could be, you know, everything from, you know, how to, how to camp effectively in bear country, um, things to do and look for that are, you know, perhaps a little bit off of, of the beaten path in terms of, you know, side trips off of the Alpine loop, if that's an option, um, you know, places to stay, um, or places to get lunch while you're on, on your tour. Um, you know, things that are, that are value adds that aren't just, about, you know, kind of nagging people to stay on the trail and pick up their trash and and do all those things that we want them to do. Um, And then also really narrowing down those emails to a single value add. So instead of sending out one 14 page email, how can we get, you know, maybe 10 smaller emails uh, out of that? Um, And, and so that, so that there's a, a very specific thing going on in that email that somebody can learn or um, share or pass on because it's even kind of hard to share a, a newsletter if there's some specific part of it that you want somebody to, to, you know, dive into um, you know, it's, it's hard for people to share that because it's embedded in this, in this larger format. Um, and then the other thing that I would consider is segmenting your list and seeing, you know, asking people what they're interested in. Are you interested in camping trip, camping tips or, you know, volunteer information or, um, you know, other, other items that might be in, in that 14 pager. Um, and then just send, um, you know, more specific emails to those people based upon their identified, uh, interests. That's a great idea. And we definitely have been looking to do that. Um, and hopefully now that we're coming off a pretty, pretty intense summer season, we'll be moving more towards that. But that's a good reminder that we need to head that direction and definitely like the idea of, of uh, you know, value-based messaging. I think we could... I can see a lot of ways to go with that. So Dave, that's got your brain spinning too. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think there's definitely some good potential to have kind of breakaway emails because now we are just growing as an organization to like kind of several different elements. Um, And, you know, I've, I've heard from volunteers myself that, you know, there's certain things that they're really into and certain things that they're just kind of lukewarm on. And I think we could have higher engagement by providing that content that like really keeps them hooked. Right. Yeah. It's really all about delivering value and, and whether that value is that your organization helps protect, um, you know, these, these open spaces and natural spaces that we all love so much or the value of, of explaining to people how, um, you know, how to, 
how to build a, a, a drain in a trail or something like that. I mean, not, not everyone would be need to know that necessarily, but if you had that message sent to the right audience, um, you'd certainly position yourselves well in terms of, of staying top of mind when they're out looking for an organization to engage with. Um, you know, I would look at, you know, you, you would probably have your volunteer segment, you would have your donor segment. You know, obviously you want to ask everybody every once in a while if if there's a volunteer project coming up, if they'd be interested in in coming out and supporting that. And if they can't come out, if they'd be willing to donate um, you know, some some uh funds to help help buy everyone lunch or something like that. You know, if you can frame it in terms of of how how these efforts are tangibly used to benefit the the San Juans and and beyond. Um, that's where people will get really excited about it. It's not just oh, I'm donating to this organization. I don't know exactly what what uh, that is going to accomplish. You know, it's kind of like when organizations say, you know, it, it takes you know a dollar a day to to feed you know uh, feed and and uh, and buy books for a student in this zone. Um, you know, there's a very tangible outcome to, to that support. And so figuring out ways to, to kind of message that can be, can be super helpful. David, do you have problems reaching out to new volunteers? Do you do most of your projects fill up? How, what's the, how, how does, how is that part of your program working? I think in general, we have really good volunteer engagement and, and we've done a fairly good job, um, both of establishing a volunteer base and putting ourselves out in the community in ways that can attract new, new volunteers as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in particular, I've, I've definitely noticed, uh, an uptick in just volunteer interest in like the last couple of years as, as we have done a pretty concerted effort of expanding our like online efforts whether that's you know social media platforms e-news um and just like being really consistent with it mm -hmm. um that's definitely drawn a lot of interest and then you know just by having folks in the field especially um right having those those ambassadors out there they're constantly referring new volunteers to us so i guess you, you really can't put a a value on just like good quality human interaction. Yeah, for sure. It's amazing. I, I am on the board of a, of a trail building organization over here in the Netherlands area. And when we're out building, you know, people stop and ask us questions and thank us. And, and it's a real, certainly a really huge opportunity to get them more involved, um, by offering to, you know, let them know when, when our next trail building day is. Cause I think most people who use, the outdoors really do feel like there's an opportunity there to give back and they may not be doing it. So there's kind of this sense of guilt, um, that, that kind of <laughs> that pops up. Um, but you know, fortunately there's ways to uh, alleviate that guilt just by volunteering a little bit. Um, Absolutely. so, you know, just letting people know how rewarding it is to, to, you know, hike on a trail that, that you may have, have, you know, built a little section of, and even if it's just a small section, um, you know, I'm wondering if there aren't opportunities to get out into the, uh, 
um, kind of the local, you know, hotels and, um, um, restaurants and, and even ski areas. I know, you know, both, um, you know, you have a couple, couple pretty amazing ski areas down in that zone with Silverton and Wolf Creek and, and, um, Oh geez, I'm forgetting the one that's right there in outside of Durango. Purgatory. Purgatory. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think that a lot of the ski areas are starting to want to educate their um their users a little bit more than they perhaps have in the past, particularly with climate change. Um, and so just being able to give somebody something to do, if you know, if they're visiting Purgatory in the in the winter to go ski um and wanna, you know, and are planning to to come back in the summer. Um, just putting that bug in, in their, in their ear that they might be able to, you know, to donate half a day to, to building some trail or picking up some trash or doing something to, that just gives back a little bit, um, you know, might be another opportunity to, to get in front of some, some of these people. Yeah. Those, those service vacations can do wonders, right? Um, another area there that we've had success and I think also opportunity to, do even more is work, you know, workplace projects. So mm-hmm. inviting, um, inviting a corporation or business to do some employee bonding through a service yeah. project. Um, David's had some good examples of success stories there, which we'd like to capitalize on further. Um, so yeah, for sure. I know that um, you probably have a lot of experience from your time at, at VOC with that. I know that they have mm-hmm. big corporate corporate days and and will put together in you know big at, at least decent sized parts of projects that uh, that some of these local corporations will come out and and put people on. Yeah, definitely. That was definitely a really big part of the uh, the programming at VOC, and it's something that that I'd really like to add here. We've we've done a bit of engagement with uh, the local business community and it's you know been really nice for kind of building some relationships uh, and it's obviously helpful for the, the fundraising side of things as well just having mm-hmm. those relationships in place but I think there's, there's tons of room for growth as far as the, the corporate engagement yeah I'm just wondering if there might be an opportunity to do um, roundups with with some of the ski areas or um, you know, or, or dedicating some volunteer time for, uh, you know, for, for your, on your pass as you're, as you're buying a pass. Um, you know, they're just all sorts of creative ways to, to try to get people to feel, um, like they have an opportunity to, to give something back. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have to just be time. And obviously it's great to spend some time outdoors working in, uh, in nature and, and, um, you know, doing those types of things, but, uh, but, you know, some people have more, a little bit more money than they have time. And so just giving them options is, is something that can be really key, um, in terms of, of, uh, you know, just getting in, getting engagement and getting people involved. Yeah, absolutely. I love those ideas. So, well, are there any other things that that you've considered that you you tried that didn't work quite as well as you would like, or you've been thinking about but don't know exactly how to pull the trigger on? 
I'm going to toss that one to David, see if he has anything, because four, four months into my tenure, um, you know, still, still a lot of things ahead on my to-do list and not my, I've tried this, let's, let's open and figure out plan B. So sure. David, how would you handle that? Yes, yeah, so I think one of the things that that really does come to mind is what we were just talking about in terms of like just kind of establishing the the relationships to really move forward with, mm-hmm. with some of the the corporate engagement. Um, you know, I think one of the <clears throat> facets of being in a, a small community is it can either be really easy if you know the right person, or really difficult if you don't. Right. Um, just to, to build that relationship. So, you know, we've, we've made, like I said, some, some progress in, in various ways, but I think they're kind of like some big fish in the community, so to speak, that would be great if we could just figure out what that access point would be, whether it's a particular type of project or just a particular person that, that holds the keys to that gateway. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that, uh, you know, if you look at some of those, I'm going to go back to the rounding up opportunity, you know, that doesn't actually cost the organization much. Um, You know, there's probably a little bit of accounting work and then a little bit of training in terms of getting their, their people to start asking for that. But at the end of the day, they don't necessarily have to have to match anything or, or do any sort of donation themselves. Um, they're merely asking people if they want to, you know, round up to the nearest dollar or, or even just tack on a donation. If you just give them a a line item in their, in their system, that is a, you know, do you want to donate $5 to, um, you know, to, 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 to your organization, to the SJMA, um, you know, that, that creates an opportunity for awareness as well as, as revenue. Um, so those are some of the things that, that can be really effective. We, um, Netherland area trails organization recently, um, was one of our, our local breweries is called Busey Brews and they, um, had a brew, uh, for the whole month of June. And, um, I think a dollar for everyone that was purchased was, was given back to, to NATO. Now, certainly they were, they were putting in on that, but they also had instructed, they instruct their staff, um, you know, every month they have a different, uh, kind of recipient. Um, and they instructed their staff to ask if, if people wanted to round up or make a small donation to, um, to our organization during the month of June. And, um, you know, it, it generated revenue and it generated a, a, a nice little, nice little chunk. And I know that our local ACE hardware also does round up days where, or, or they round up, they give you the opportunity to round up, um, you know, year round and, um, you know, they'll pick a different organization from time to time to be the recipient of that. And, and basically every transaction that comes through there, it's, you know, at most, uh, 99 cents and at, and at least a, a penny. Um, if you figure out how many transactions go through yeah. and, you know, you figure that average is 50 cents, there's you know, 50 cents on every transaction can start to add up. It really does. Yeah. Our, our yeah. local Ace Hardware does the same thing. And yeah, you've, you've, I'm writing notes and um, David and I will regroup after this for sure to, <laughs> to implement some of these great ideas. Well, that'd be great. Um, 
I, you know, I really, I can't believe it's been an hour already. I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and I'm, you know, very excited to 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 see what what happens next or what what comes next for you guys. I think that you have, you know, you're doing a lot of great work down there in a in a huge swath of land um, that I I don't get down to as much as I would like to, but I I certainly come to Silverton once a year and and you know, travel through that zone, uh, as much as I, as much as I can. Um, how can people find out more about the, about the SJMA? Easiest way is through our website, which is simply sjma.org. Um, obviously we've got a Facebook presence and Instagram presence. And I think both of those, if you just search San Juan mountains association should pop up pretty readily. Um, mm-hmm. let's see, what else am I missing, David? Um, I would say those are going to be the easiest three and we're pretty good about updating all three of them. If you're feeling particularly excited about the cause, um, it's really easy to hop on our e-news. If you just scroll to the bottom of our webpage, there's a spot there where you can sign up. And, uh, yeah, I think other than that, um, we also do a, a monthly column in the Durango Herald. If you're just kind of looking for some highlights, and that's uh, just called the Stewards of Land column. <laughs> well, I would also encourage people to just make sure that they're looking for your ambassadors and volunteers out on the trailhead uh, during the summer months um, while they're down exploring the beautiful mountains in in the San Juans. Most definitely. So I love having these conversations, but I also really like to spur action and trying to get people to actually do something after listening to our show today. If there was anything that you, Stephanie or or David, would want people to do after listening today, what what would that what would that be? Well, we can throw in a little plug here. We've got a an upcoming National Public Lands Day event. Uh, in conjunction with the the BLM office over on the Dolores River. And uh, you can find details for that on our website. And since it is National Public Lands Day, and and hopefully many of your listeners are spread across the nation, um, figure out how to get involved in your own backyard to, you know, just protect public lands or some of your favorite places. Um, you know, we all, we all know it does take many, many hands to take care of even the wild places. Um, so just get involved wherever you may be. Um, and certainly if you're in our neck of the woods, we'd love to have you volunteer or be a member or otherwise engage with us. Well, I really appreciate both those, both those ideas. I think that, um, the more that we can get people out and about, enjoying our public lands and then giving a little bit back to them, uh, the better off we're all going to be. Thank you guys both so very much for being on the show today. I had a blast talking with you and learning more about San Juan's Mountain Association. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Have a great day. All right, there you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, 
you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.